You are listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. On today's episode, we sit down with Mo Fadelbob. Mo is the founder and president of Forum Resources Network and co-founder of Harvard Business School Alumni Forums. He's the author of two best-selling books, Forum, The Secret Advantage of Successful Leaders, and The Friendship Advantage. Today, Mo speaks with us about how leaders can use vulnerability and kind conversation to build better relationships and strengthen teams. We are at another Scaling Culture podcast with Mo Falterbob. And Mo, I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the Scaling Culture podcast. Ron, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm excited and and honored. Yeah, you know, uh, I saw Mo speak for the first time at a growth summit that Vern Harnish puts on. And uh, I think it was when your book just launched, The Friendship Advantage. I think it had just launched, or you had talked about at least the the seven pieces, keys to that. Was it before or after the book had launched, Mo? It had just it launched, had just launched. Yes, yes, yes. And and that's when I saw you speak as well. So we uh, shared the stage, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I was drawn to that, uh, read your book, loved it. And what I want to comment on is when I wrote, the book Outrageous Empowerment, I was trying to create this, you're sitting in the living room talking to me, feeling as you read the book. And I'll tell you, Mo, I haven't read many business books that provide great content, but give you that feeling. And your book, I was just so drawn because I felt like I was talking to you the whole time. Was that, was that by design? You know, it's a funny uh, question. And I think the answer might surprise you. So being in a forum, which you have been, right? You've been in an, an EO forum for, today. for a bunch of years. Yeah, still am. Okay, right? So being in a forum, one of the pillars is speaking from experience and not giving advice. And so I've been programmed for and teaching people for decades now to speak in first person. And when you're speaking in first person, you're telling real stories and, uh, you know, I think the net result is you feel like you're having a conversation with the person. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I love that. So, Mo, I'm going to dive right into this book. I've got a bunch of questions uh, as I was reading. Let's do it. And so, yeah, I wanted to first start off, if you're comfortable, I want to talk about this story about your father. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, one... You know, I, uh, I grew up without a father. I met my dad at 21. You would have started to read that in the beginning uh, of the story. And I, yes, I saw that. Right? We have that in common, yeah. And so it really hit home for me when you talked about this blame, your relationship with your father and how, and I think the story goes, you first placed the blame on him, then it was 50-50, and then, and then decided to take control. Can you walk us through that? I, I just love this, and I love the, the kind of journey you went through to get to where you landed. Yeah, well, you know, I'll start with my parents were divorced when I was three years old. And for about eight years to follow, I saw my father. Uh, and when I, when I, um, by the time I turned 11, I'd only seen my father three times in the eight years, uh, you know, from the time I was three to the time I was 11. Then my mother got a job at uh, the World Bank in Washington, D.C., and I moved with her because uh, you know, I wanted to move to the US and, and I was close to my mom. And then my dad came to visit and he said, hey, you should get to know your family. And I said, sure. And every couple of years I'd go knock on his door, hi, I'm here. Initially it was very nice, but eventually um, he started to give me a hard time about a variety of things, about 
what I'm studying and, and whatever. Um, and by the time I was in college, I kind of had enough. And I was like, you know, who is this guy who's never really been effectively my father? And yet he has all this advice for me. <laughs> and so I decided I was done. And for 10 years, we didn't speak. Wow. Uh, now, during those 10 years, I had plenty of advice. You got to call your dad. You got to call your dad. You got to call your dad. And I just ignored it. It went in one ear, out the other, because I really had no um, emotional attachment. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anything, I was kind of just pissed off as a, as a young kid, and, and I was just done. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day, one of my forum mates uh, lost his father. And, you know, we went to the funeral and all that. But afterwards, he um, came to the forum meeting and he brought out the eulogy and he said, I want to talk about this again. Mm -hmm. And he started to, you know, pour his heart out. And we had seven men in the group at the moment, no women, uh, unfortunately. But by the time the meeting was over, five of us were in tears, myself included. Wow. And so for the first time, I realized, oh God, <laughs> I've got something to deal with here. Uh, so through that journey, I absolutely, prior to that moment, had blamed my dad 100%. Because in my mind, what kind of a, of a dad is not responsible for the relationship with a four, six, eight, or 10-year-old right. kid? Right, he's the adult, he's responsible. Yeah, right. um, but then the shift was, okay, I'm gonna be mature, I, I must have a piece of this. <laughs> and so I own 50% and, and he owns 50%. But you know what happened, Ron? Nothing changed, right? Because in that fifty percent that I left in his court, I left it in his court to do something. And why would he know that he needed to do something without me communicating this with mm -hmm. him? And so, by the time I decided, I gotta go knock on his door and say, "Hey, let's fix this." I had to grow up and say, "You know what? I'm a hundred percent responsible for me, and that's all I could be responsible." Ah, for, for you, not the outcome of what's going to happen, because he participates in that. You're just responsible for you and how you participate in this. That's right. And was this, uh, actually, quick question, where's the relationship today? Is your father still around? Today, we, we're, we're, we're totally, totally on good, good grounds. Wow. Um, we've made up. And I, you know, I also had made some judgments about him, not knowing him really well. Right. And it turned out my judgments weren't accurate. Were and I feel horrible mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And was this the basis for the book? Was it, was it, or just part of? No. So the basis for me choosing to get into this line of work is when I first went to a forum training that YPO put on, Young Presidents yeah. Organization, for those that don't know it, um, I was blown away by the vulnerability mm. and the safety and the openness and the ability to be um, transparent with people that I, you know, had no reason to be transparent with, yeah, yeah. and to find that it was all good. You know, everybody's got their issues, and until you open up and hear what other people's issues are, you don't really realize it, and you think you're alone. You think you're the only one. The fact that you and I can have this conversation right. about our fathers today, yeah. I, I guarantee you 20 years ago, let's go back 30 years ago, neither of us would have had this conversation because we'd just rather avoid it. And I would have been 11 years old. <laughs> I had to, I had to throw that in there. I had to do that. that <laughs> but no. 53 on my side. I hear you. You're, you're absolutely right. And so, look, through the book, obviously company culture, you, you went deep with friendships and relationships. I want to talk about that. But 
what was your aha moment in building and, and, and the importance of culture? Was that, a, did you have an aha moment? Like, wow, this is a big part of what's, what needs to happen for, 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 yeah. for, for, uh, for companies. Did you have an aha culture moment? Yes. So I would go, uh, you know, listen, when I left my job as executive director of EO, I had a simple business plan. I'm going to offer forum to every organization on the planet, every association, every nonprofit. And um, that was really uh, my mission. And that was it. But every time I would meet with a group of CEOs or entrepreneurs in this forum environment, somebody would say, hey, this is pretty cool. Can you do this with my executive team? And my aha moment was the healthy executive teams follow the same principles that work in these forms. Right, right. And I was like, oh my God, this stuff works. Mm-hmm. It just, it's just a matter of being open to it. Because some CEOs, Ron, will say, hey, how am I supposed to be friends with my employees and still reprimand them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my answer is, well, if you have an honest relationship, you're also going to have real conversations. You're going to have what I call kind truth when things are not going well. Right. And oh, by the way, it's not just about you as a CEO or the members of your team and their people in your company friends with one another. Because mm-hmm. if they're not, then they're just showing up for a transactional relationship and they don't care. And if they don't care, it's going to affect you. Well, and what's the, you know, I couldn't agree more as far as, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in three forms today. One's international, one is a real estate form across Canada, and then my local form. And I was in YPO, in a form, and EO, in a form at the same time as well. You know, as you've been talking to executives to join these forms, what, and everyone's different, I get that, but what... What, what um, convinces them that there's going to be value? Because, we, you know, executives have healthy egos. They might think they have all the answers, don't need help. How do, you, how do you get them across the finish line for, wow, this is really going to be powerful? What's the message? You know, so the message was never as good as giving them a taste. And so the message was, hey, it's lonely at the top. And whatever you're dealing with, there are other CEOs that are dealing with it. And if you have a group of 10 people thinking about your problem, you are for sure going to find a better solution. Right, right. So that's the message. But nobody really gets Mm -hmm. it until they experience a little taste of it. Like, you know, here's my best. Here's my worst. Here's what's happened at work. Mm -hmm. Here's when I thought I was going to lose it all. Right. Here's when I felt like a success. And when you start to share those stories, then every one of them says, oh my God, as much as I thought I was on an island, I now feel like I'm not alone. Right. Yeah. And so in the book, you talk about the seven keys to a friendship. But, you know, as I was reading and, I, and I'm just curious, what, what is the difference between a friendship and a relationship? Or is there one? Because I was, I was, I was, I was really wondering that as I was reading, are, are you talking about relationships or friendships? You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So listen, a relationship is any relationship between any two people. It could be the clerk at your local coffee shop with whom you greet and talk about the weather and maybe, you know, hockey, because I'm talking to somebody in Canada here, we'll make it hockey instead of football. Thank you for that. (laughs) Cultural sensitivity here, right? Yeah, that's right. But, right, but... Uh, but a relationship can also be a friendship. Mm-hmm. A relationship can also be a marriage. A relationship can also be 
a work relationship. But when you say friendship, and when you say real friendship, now we're talking about a person with whom you could be yourself, whether it is your vulnerabilities, whether it is dealing with your fun side and just your mischievous fun mm -hmm. side, to be precise. Um, and so, or, or being honest about things that are not working, mm -hmm. right? So things are going to happen in a relationship. And can you be honest about it? Can you, can you have that conversation and have it be productive? Well, you, you and I, I'm going to kind of pivot here to one of them, which, which really sticks out to me, because I like how you use the word kind in front of truth. Mm. Explain that. Please tell us about kind truth. Yeah. So my observation in working with nearly 30,000 CEOs is people either avoid any difficult conversation or they come from the uh, bull in the china shop school of thought, which is I'm not going to avoid it and I don't care how it comes across and I don't care how it lands on you, but I'm going to say it anyway. And right. between those two extremes, in my mind, there's a dearth. There's, a, there's, a, there's something missing, which is what I call kind conversation. Mm -hmm. So how can we talk about the difficult stuff without feeling the need to attack the other person, without putting the other person in a difficult spot where they're going to run or have to fight back or have to get defensive? How can we have that conversation in a way that's healthy and productive? And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first, you have to ask. So in a room, when I'm working with a group of executives doing team building, uh, we talk about the responsibilities of both parties, the sender and the receiver. So if I have a problem with you because you were late, or if, I have, if you have a problem with me because I didn't dial into something on time. Which we, we do today. Be, if we're going to go there, we can go there. You did not dial we, we in. Can go there, right? <laughs> we can go there. <laughs> go ahead. We have good reason, but we could go there. I'm being kind about uh, that, by the way. I was very upset. I'm being kind. This is kind truth. Go ahead. So you see how you said it with a smile. And that's the thing, right? So you said it with love. You said it with care. You said it with, hey, when that happened, I felt hurt or I felt marginalized. Or I thought, gosh, Mo doesn't respect me. I don't know what you felt. But the truth is, I was five minutes late because I was trying to dial into Google Hangouts and this call was on Zoom, right? Right. Uh, and so if we don't talk about that, you know, you could go on thinking Mo is just a bad guy. Or you could go on thinking Mo doesn't respect me. Or you could go on thinking Mo is not reliable and responsible. But until you have that conversation right. with me, then you continue to build these cases about me and it just gets you down further into this hole. And for me to recover from something that I'm not aware of mm. is not fair to me either. So it sounds like instead of me telling a story, which we had an episode on narrative coaching, which really talked about this, me, I'm telling myself a story about why you're late. So, so narrative coaching, I pause and really question myself. Look, that's just a story. You don't know what happened. You don't know if you had a death in the family you have no idea, you've made up a story. But it sounds like uh, that seems to be step one. And step two is to tell you how I felt in the process yeah. versus, yeah. you know, this is look, look, Mo, here's how I felt. And is that also, is that me being kind about the truth? That's right, because yes. I'm not pointing at you, I'm not attacking you, I'm being kind by saying, look, I was yeah. a little super pissed off when that happened. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Okay. That's good. 
Yeah. So back to what I was saying about the role of the sender and the receiver. So when I sit down with an executive team, particularly if I know it's going to be a heavily uh, charged conversation, we have an agreement first. Mm -hmm. What are the responsibilities of the sender, the person who needs to say, I'm pissed off that you were late? Yeah. And what are the responsibilities of the receiver? Mm -hmm. And I don't make up those rules. I ask the team, what do you guys think those responsibilities right. are? And I'll tell you, Ron, half the time, no, 90% of the time, people come up with the same list. Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliant list. But here's the key. It's not how brilliant the list is. It's do we have an agreement right. that we are going to treat each other in this way? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if we don't, then I'm not playing by the rules and I just want to win at all costs. Right. And that's what hurts relationships. And, you know, I, I want to go to a part of the book you talked about, and, and I'm going to quote them from you in my book because it was beautiful. It was roadblocks to creating trust. You mm. talked about some of these things. Can you elaborate? I, you know, I, I was actually um, talking about this earlier today. You had like interrupting, um, you know, um, asking the wrong question. Elaborate on some of these because we haven't covered that before. We've had Francis Frey on talking about the, the wobbles, the three different wobbles, mm -hmm. trust wobbles. But I love of these, these are roadblocks to creating trust. I think that they were well said. Can you go through them all? Yeah. So one of them is if I can't count on you to keep my confidentiality. Oh, yeah. Right. So if I'm going to share something with you, right, and you're going to go tell the world, then I'm not going to trust you next time. Right. Um, another one is how you react. And so if I come to you with a problem, do you say, you idiot, <laughs> here's right. what you need to do, mm -hmm. in which case I'm going to feel judged mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. minimized, and that'll affect my being able to trust you. Uh, another one is, do we have shared vulnerability? And so at some point, somebody's going to take the leap of faith. Somebody's going to take the risk. Somebody's going to be vulnerable with the other person. And if it's always me, then eventually I might lose trust. In that, wait a minute, why doesn't Ron share his issues with me? Right, right. Uh, another one is, mm -hmm. right, if I'm sensing there's something wrong between us, and I go, Ron, what's wrong? And you go, nothing, nothing, nothing. And you refuse to tell me the kind truth. Mm. Again, that could affect my trust. If you never show up right. when you tell me you're going to, if you're always late, like, so one time, you know, hopefully you'll forgive me. I do. And I already <laughs> forgive you. I love you. <laughs> Love you too. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, um, right, if you keep repeating that pattern, mm -hmm. then I lose trust in that respect anyway. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reliability thing. It's in the workplace, I promise to deliver on a project and I don't deliver. Right. And I don't make the deadline mm -hmm. and I don't make the deadline. Well, that's another way that trust erodes between a couple of folks. I love that. And, you know, and I had said earlier, you know, asking the wrong question, especially at the surface level of, of ground zero, trying to build it. You know, I, I've been in so many conversations where I've been a little vulnerable to someone, started to open up around something. And maybe it's uh, my relationship with my father growing up. And then they asked me a question about my company. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it just hits me the wrong way. Instead of going deeper and say, Geez, you know, tell me more about that. There's, it seems like if you can run deeper questions, clarifying mm -hmm. questions, uh, you know, tell me more, uh, why did that happen? You can really build relationships, build vulnerability, pull it out of someone versus, you know, smacking them away and, and asking the wrong question, right? 100%. And I love that. Tell me more. I mean, tell me more. is just so brilliant. Yeah. You're just, you're just saying, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without intent. Tell me more. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Versus 
why'd you do that? Don't you think you should have done this instead? Right. Huge shifts. Yeah. You know, Mo, obviously, um, because of form, you're big on Gestalt. Can you talk about Gestalt here and, and, and the usage of Gestalt? So first the definition, what is Gestalt, and then how it's used? Yeah. So in EO, we've defined it as a, a language protocol whereby we speak from experience rather than giving advice. And basically the way it's used specifically in that uh, environment is a member will come in with a situation uh, and I'm simplifying it here, but they will share their situation, they'll share their challenge. And then the gestalt is how we ask questions and how we share experiences. And so if we ask questions, just like we talked about that are leading or attacking or hidden advice, then that's not within gestalt. And if instead of sharing experience, we give advice, like here's what you need to do, right. here's what I think you should it do, should here's on. what I would do if I were you, you should on, exactly, right? So in its simplest form, we're going to use I statements and we're going to speak in terms of usually the past tense. I mean, it could be, here's what I'm doing right now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but for most things, it's going to be, here's what I did because there's so much more historical than what we're currently doing. Right. Uh, and so if you just stick to your story, stick to your story, tell what you did, be specific, don't generalize, then you're following the gestalt. And for those out there that have children or spouses, they know when it goes awry because you'll tell somebody mm -hmm. something and they're going to respond with, don't tell me what to do. Right. <laughs> Happens to all of us. Right. Yeah. I, I want to talk about this next because this was one of my largest takeaways and aha moments in the book is when people ask for advice, it's a judgment trap. I've never thought about it as that you call it a judgment trap and some questions that you use to figure out the path forward. Uh, and I'll read one off and I want you to dive deep into these, but um, you know, which of these three reflects what you really want? One, can you help me figure this out? Uh, can you share Gestalt how you've handled it in the past or you just need me to listen? Can you talk about mm. that? That was awesome. I want, I want everyone to really Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, I'll make it personal because I think that just kind of uh, hammers away at some of the examples a little bit better. So I had a friend of mine uh, years ago who was going through a breakup and it was a bad situation and he would, you know, call many of his friends and they would tell him, get it over with already. Like, break up with her like what are you waiting for yeah. and uh it's not what he wanted to hear you know or maybe he wasn't ready to hear it or maybe that's what he needed to do but he wasn't ready to do it so all that was not helpful mm -hmm. and but he would begin those conversations with you know i want your advice and so when somebody says i want your advice the social understanding is I'm going to give them advice right, right. and I'm going to tell them what to do. And so I think the word advice is a little tricky because you might want help, but by saying, I want your advice, you're asking for somebody to give you a prescription. Mm -hmm. And so me, I asked, okay, but what do you really want? Do you want my experience so that you can, you know, hear a common story that might be of help to you? Do you want me to ask you questions to kind of coach you through it? Do you want me to just listen? Ah, or do you actually want me to tell you what to do? Because it's not my preference and it's very unlikely I'm going to do it. But 
what do you want? So, so you actually in a work environment, work situation, maybe you do this personally as well. Someone says, Hey, I'm, I've got a stock boy and I need some help with something. And you literally stop and say, okay, before we move on, let me ask you a few simple questions. What I want to be clear on what you want from me. You yeah. want me to listen? Do you want my ad advice? Do you want me to ask you some questions in a coaching environment or, or do you want me to give you my experience? Yes. However, I'm going to give you a caveat yeah. to that. Uh, and this is joke. It's a joke in my forum, which is, it goes like this. Even if you ask me for your advice, we're going to chuckle and tell you, well, here's my experience. Because why would I tell you what to do instead of telling you the story from which I've sourced that learning? Right. Right. See, cause that's the whole thing. I don't just make up advice if it's really well-founded and based on experience. Mm -hmm. And so if there is an experience there, then by sharing the experience, I'm actually giving you the, the data and the facts from which you could draw many conclusions and many lessons. Whereas if I just tell you what to do, it's surface. Totally. And it may or may not be right or accurate, mm -hmm. not to mention you may take it the wrong way. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of times as entrepreneurs and leaders, we go right to problem solving. Let me give you the solution. Let yeah. me, yeah, I've diagnosed you already. You're halfway through the sentence. Let me give you what you need. You know, I love yeah. this. Slow down, really listen to what someone's saying. And, and, you know, I was talking about the golden rule, which is treat people like you would like to be treated. But this is, we call this the platinum rule. You're treating them how they would like to be treated, right? Because you don't know yeah. until you ask those questions and really figure out what the path forward is. I love it, Mo. Thank you. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. We just want to put this. That will also there's be something else to this. That will also be yeah. added to the book, Scaling Culture, <laughs> which sponsors this podcast and will be released in the fall of 2020. All right. Awesome. awesome. Sorry, Mo, keep awesome. going. What did awesome. you say? I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, this also plays out in a very profound way. And and you, as the rock star CEO that you are, absolutely will say, yes, of course. And so when you just tell somebody how to do something every time they count on you to tell them how to do it every time. But if you coach them through it yeah. and help them learn how to do it, then they don't keep coming back to you. I mean, I had an EO member tell me this exact thing. He goes, you know, Mo, when I first heard this, I was working 70 hours a week and I was the bottleneck and every one of my employees would come knock on my door. How do I do this? How do I do that? And I would tell them exactly how to do it. And by the way, it stroked my ego because I felt like I had all the answers. Totally. Guess what went then? They can't learn. They don't grow. And you they don't and grow. You're busy. They Your phone learn. rings 24-7. Exactly. Exactly. I've been there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I read that in uh, in your wife's uh, memo at the beginning of your right, book, right? right? People were calling at dinner. But it sounded like that was really good stuff. Yeah. They were reporting good news. They were jazzed. They were excited. Well, but um, I went through that too. I mean, I I I think I talk about it in the book where my 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 I create an environment where my office door was the revolving door, but I was the problem. I had all the solutions. And so whether it was ego, adrenaline rush, a combination of these things, me thinking I had better answers, you know, I created the problem. I held everyone back. I learned more in these cases, but I couldn't scale the organization. I was the stuck point. Mm. Mm. There you go. There you go. And so part of it is, 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 you know, you talk about scaling culture. Well, part of it is scaling culture. Yeah. And so is the CEO going to handle everything or are his or her deputies going to handle everything or is it going to trickle down because we're giving people the keys? I love your story 
of how uh, one of your security guards went and bought the car and did the shopping mm -hmm. and did all the work. Mm -hmm. And like, wow, what an empower empowering thing to do to somebody who's one of your 1,500 employees, you know, on the front lines. Amazing. Ashwani, he's the best. I'll never forget Ashwani. Yeah. He lives on. Ashwani. Ashwani is living on. There's more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, he absolutely. Uh, we had so much fun doing that, you know, really. And of course, the subtitles give people their brains back, let people flourish and give them, you know, the autonomy and the space to come to life, make their own decisions. And so, yeah, we, we certainly loved that journey. Yeah. So there you go. So you see how Gestalt fits into giving people their brains yeah. back. I mean, that's part of the deal here. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's like, you know what? You own it when you find your own solution. And it, it, do you find that these peer-to-peer -peer groups forums are a great training ground for that? Because I certainly have felt that, that it has been for me. So it is a training for life. 100%. Business, personal, it is a training for life. And actually, the reason for my second book is I used to hear, and still do, people coming in and saying, you know what, my forum is like my best friends, or better. Or I've shared things with my forum that I haven't shared with my best friends mm -hmm. or family. And, you know, in some ways, I take pride in that. But in some ways, I'm like, oh, gosh, we're missing the point. This forum is supposed to help you be a better person in other facets of your life. It's not supposed to take place of other parts of your right, life. Right, right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So there's this life cycle, essentially. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, Mo, I have to, I'm going to skip ahead to mischievous fun because when I first read that, of course, and I know how you opened it and said, you know, a lot of people are going to uh, kind of question the word mischievous as I did as a reader. I was like, mischievous fun. What does, where, where's Mo going here? Yeah. Um, but you know, as I read on, I understood that, you know, that's a wide range maybe for you or for someone that's golfing or doing something. This wasn't about getting into trouble, you know, can you talk us about mischievous fun? Cause it's very interesting that you added that to this friendship category. You know, so first of all, it is absolutely my favorite chapter. Uh, it is the one chapter that I questioned the most. How is this going to play? And yet, I'm convinced, I'm convinced it's absolutely critical uh, as a part of a relationship that is a complete and real relationship. So if you think about your closest friends, you have had some form of mischievous fun with them. Right. It's just, mm -hmm. that's, that's what it comes down to. And so the, the demarcation line that I saw clearly is if you were not willing or comfortable to be vulnerable enough to have whatever you consider to be mischievous fun with someone, that draws a line between you and that someone mm -hmm. in terms of how real your relationship mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. That's and so what I find is just talking about it with when I'm doing team building, uh, just talking about it, getting people to share those stories begins to create the connections of, yes, you are real and I can trust you because you know what? We all know we have a little piece of that in us. Mm -hmm. And if, if you don't, then maybe, maybe, but uh, generally speaking, I think people do. And without it uh, and without sharing it, we're missing something. We're missing that opportunity to connect in that way. Right. And if you look at these seven keys to relationship, if you think of like five dysfunctions of the team and, the bottom is um, trust. You know, if you don't have trust, 
you can't have vulnerability, no healthy conflict, no commitment, and on and on, you know, inattention to results. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the first step here? What is the biggest roadblock, I should say, or, or is it the first step? What, where's the biggest, um, you know, uh, part of this that gets in people, that people get in our own way on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's so, I, I honestly, I vacillate as I think about this. However, I put the judgment free first because I think that's where people actually get in their own way. Mm. So when you, the way you've asked me that question is the answer. People get in their own way by inadvertently making judgments of one another Mm -hmm. and passing those judgments onto one another. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then right off the bat, I'm feeling a lack of connection with you, a lack of being understood by you and a judgment by you. And when that happens, everything stops. Right. People shut down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And, you know, you, you talk a lot about vulnerability. What are some tips or tricks? I just find, you know, people are, are at a different phase. I know I certainly went through um, my own journey of how vulnerable I was and, you know, from, from a leadership standpoint. And, and what, are, what can we do to draw people out and, and especially in leaders, leaders in, in our organizations to be more vulnerable? Because I think a lot of people have serious roadblocks around that. You know, what, what, how do you draw yeah. that out? So I think first by understanding why it matters. And so one of the things that I love to quote is David Bradford, graduate school of business professor at Stanford. And he says, vulnerability is the currency of relationships. Without vulnerability, Mm -hmm. relationships remain superficial. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is the most succinct sentence on vulnerability that I've ever heard. I mean, there's a 20 minute pep talk by Brené Brown that is brilliant if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it i think it might be top five all-time ted talks however uh this one sentence says it all vulnerability is the currency of relationships Mm -hmm. and so think of any relationship in your life and if you're not as connected to that person as you would like then one or both parties is not being vulnerable and so why does that matter for leaders because imagine you're the ceo and you pretend that you never make mistakes and you're always perfect Mm -hmm. Well, how does that trickle down? Right. And if everybody in your organization is doing that, what's the consequence? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's huge because if we don't know what mistakes we're making, then how are we going to correct for it? Yeah. Yeah. And then people are hiding instead of being transparent Mm -hmm. and people are protecting their turf instead of being team players. Yeah. The consequences are are huge. So when I work with an executive team, I, I start with the CEO and I say, Ron, by the way, one of the things we're going to do during our offsite is an opportunity for some vulnerability. And P.S., you need to go first. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to ask the question, but until you step up and show the way and show these people that it's okay, you know, it's going to impact how people are going to be real. Mm-hmm. Love that. So I got a few final questions, Mo. One is, how do you utilize the friendship advantage or can it be utilized in screening and onboarding are companies using this some of your clients talk to you know can we screen for this is that important and then so, in the you know for process. me it's about the cultural fit and so what i could tell you is right. when is when when there's an interview i want to know who this person is and what what is their cultural fabric and does it fit with our cultural fabric are they 
willing to be vulnerable, even in the interview? Because if they're not, will they ever? Are they willing to admit some mistakes in the interview? Because if they're not, mm. will they ever? So, Are they? so you're testing these in the interview. You're, you're not waiting to find out. You know, this is essentially saying, look, you know, are you judging me? Are you vulnerable? You're really checking, you're for, checking these things for these and things and maybe not using this exact language and not maybe, I mean, you know, you can use that language, but, right. you know, but that's what I'm underneath the surface. This is what I'm looking for. Is this person going to be real? Are they going to be reliable? Um, and so one of the things that, you know, an interview is not just sitting around a boardroom table. Let's go have a dinner with this person. Right. Let's go have a dinner with them. See how they mm -hmm. treat the wait staff. Mm -hmm. Let's go have dinner with them and their spouse and see how they interact. Let's go see, right? So you want to dig in and see how this person lives, mm -hmm. how they behave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then what about the onboarding? Are they touching on this? To, to, is, it, is it, hey, come into this organization, be vulnerable, create some friends? You know, how do we do this? Yeah, so when it's, when it's um, one, of the, one of my clients, I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, a company out of New Jersey, a big construction company, every month or two, they would have 10 new staff members. And those 10 new staff members would go through a half-day team building session where they learn every one of the principles that we've talked mm -hmm. about. They learn how to do the kind truths. They learn the vulnerability. They learn every, every piece of this. And by the time it's done, you know, wow. they're like, okay, first of all, I feel like I have a team with these new people. We could support one another. And now I understand the culture of how this company operates. Mm, that this yeah. is a safe place for all these. And this is a construction company mm. in New Jersey. You could imagine these are not softies, but this company, you know, said, you know what? Right. We're going to be real. Yeah. Right. They're doubling down. So you touched on this before. This has to be one of the biggest questions. Um, and I'll wrap with this, Mo, is you and I are working together. We follow these, you know, seven keys. We built a strong relationship. Now you're unhappy with my performance. But we're close. We've gone fishing. We really built from relationship to friendship. How do you approach individuals in that situation when you have yeah. you built a so strong So one of the biggest uh, hurdles for the CEOs when they've built this big friendship is have they been honest all along? And so if you have waited mm. three years to tell me that I'm not doing something well, and you are now way too far gone and losing sleep and you want to fire me, but you don't know how to do it, it's too late. And so part of this kind truth thing is a process we call clearing the air. And as a team, mm. every week, when you sit down, we start with, is everybody clean? Or is there anything that's bothered anybody on the team? And then they voice it using the mm. kind truth techniques so that nothing festers and blows up and becomes that, you know, mm -hmm. huge event that you're, exactly. Uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going into that emotionally yeah. now because I've held on to it for too long. Yeah. So, so it sounds like once you get there, as long as you've been doing that clearing process throughout the relationship, um, you should, it should be okay. You should be able to get through That's that. Right. that and you've heard this before. If you fire somebody and they're surprised, you're not a good boss. 
No, agreed. <laughs> and yeah. you're a coward. You're a coward. <laughs> With a capital C, you're a coward. Uh, Mo, look, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time, your wisdom, and you. your experience. Um, this has been awesome. I've enjoyed the conversation and, uh, so fun being with you and having this conversation with you. And I can't wait to read uh, the next book. I know it's going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Scaling culture. I've named this the best culture book. I think I I named it myself. Well, it should be because even you want to go outside the planet Earth because if we find other planets and they have aliens who wrote books about culture, I want to make I, sure I I've already self-proclaimed sure? a better book than that. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Thanks, Mo. Enjoy you New York it. City Bye. and let's stay in touch. For more information about Mo or everything scaling culture, please see the show description. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest. <laughs>